From the Valley of the Sun in Phoenix, Arizona, welcome to episode 238 of the What is Truth Catholic podcast. My name is Deacon Steve, and I am a permanent deacon in the Diocese of Phoenix. This weekend, we celebrate the second Sunday of Easter. It's also the Sunday of Divine Mercy. It is not always easy, but we are called to believe in our Lord and to live our beliefs in the world. We live our beliefs when we accept the love and mercy of our Lord and extend that love and mercy to our brothers and sisters. This is often a challenge, especially to people who have hurt us and may not even be sorry for what they've done to us. Let us pray for the grace to accept God's love, Christ's love, his healing and forgiveness, and by his will and grace, extend that love and mercy to all we encounter in the world each day. In episode 238 of the What is Truth Catholic podcast, we first discuss our saint of the week, St. Martin I, a pope who defended the truth no matter what the cost. We hear a homily for the second Sunday of Easter, as Jesus encounters Thomas, who is struggling with the resurrection. In the segment, Catholics in the News, we will learn about a nun in her efforts to help people impacted by the pandemic. In the segment, Truth in the Media, we will discover a new book from an archbishop. In the segment entitled, I Don't Get It, I will try to understand what recently happened in Virginia. Finally, during our truth topic of the week, we will hear the truth from Pope Francis about the importance of confession. All of this, plus music from Robert Martin, who sings what Jesus is, alive. This and more on episode 238 of What is Truth? Saint of the Week When Martin I became Pope in 649, Constantinople was the capital of the Byzantine Empire, and the Patriarch of Constantinople was the most influential church leader in the Eastern Christian world. The struggles that existed within the church at that time were magnified by the close cooperation of the Emperor and Patriarch. A teacher strongly supported in the East held that Christ had no human will. Twice, emperors had officially favored this position. There was actually a formula of faith that silenced the issue of the one or two wills in Christ. Shortly after assuming the office of the papacy, which he did without first being confirmed by the emperor, that was a no-no, Martin held a council at the Lateran, in which the imperial documents were censured and in which the Patriarch of Constantinople and two of his predecessors were condemned. In response, Emperor Constans II first tried to turn bishops and people against Pope Martin. Failing in this in an attempt to kill him, the emperor sent troops to Rome to seize Martin and to bring him back to Constantinople. Already in poor health, Martin offered no resistance, returned there to Constantinople, and was then submitted to various imprisonments, tortures, 
and hardships. Although condemned to death with some of the imposed tortures already carried out, Martin was saved from execution by the pleas of a repentant Paul, who was the patriarch of Constantinople, who himself was gravely ill. Tortures and cruel treatment having taken their toll, Martin died shortly thereafter. He is the last of the early popes to be venerated as a martyr. His feast day is April 13th. St. Martin I, who died defending the truth, no matter what the cost, our Saint of the Week. Homily of the Week. Today's homily is based on the readings for the second Sunday of Lent, as the risen Christ encounters Thomas. A father had a family of sons who were perpetually quarreling among themselves. When he failed to heal their disputes by his exhortations, he determined to give them a practical illustration of the evils of disunion. And for this purpose, he told them one day to bring him a bundle of sticks tied together with twine and said to his oldest son, break it into pieces. The oldest son tried and tried, but with all his strength, he could not break the bundle. The other sons also tried, but none of them were successful. Untie the bundle, said the father, and each of you take one stick. When, when they had done so, he said to them, now try to break your stick. Each stick was easily broken. You see my meaning, said their father. He then addressed them in these words. My sons, if you are of one mind and unite to assist one another, you will, as this bundle of sticks, uninjured by all the attempts of your enemies. But if you're divided among yourselves, you will be as broken as easily as the single sticks. In our first reading for this second Sunday of Easter, we hear from the Acts of the Apostles, and we hear that the community of believers were of one heart, of one mind. They were united. In our second reading from 1 John, we hear that basically that the disciples, the apostles, loved God. The people of God loved him, and they loved him by obeying his commandments. And in the gospel, the apostles are not of one mind. They're not united. Thomas says, I won't believe it until I see it for myself, that Jesus has risen from the dead. And then Jesus comes, shows Thomas his hands in his side, and helps Jesus helps to unite the apostles in their belief that the resurrection has indeed occurred. So I think on this second Sunday of Easter, my brothers and sisters, we are called to answer this question. Are we a united people in the Lord? Are we? I think, unfortunately, today the answer is, no, we're not. There is incredible division in the world. I cannot recall a more disfractured, disunited, fractured world with polarized people than the world we live in today. We saw it in our last election. We're either way on the left 
away on the right, but this is a divided country. Look at the riot at the Capitol, if you want an example. We live in a world where we are not at all united. We live in a country that is not currently the United States, but more likely the disunited States of America right now. And we all know this, I think, and sense this on some level. We are divided in our families. During the coronavirus pandemic, we have had more addiction and domestic violence than has occurred in families in a long, long time. We have become more and more fractured as families, more disunited, divorce is up, violence is up, families are divided. And we are, I'm sorry to say, divided in our church more than ever. You know, there are those in our church who say Pope Francis is way too liberal. And then on the other side, Pope Francis is not, is, you know, not conservative enough. We have polarized in our church. He should be more liberal. He should be more conservative. We're not agreeing. And our church is as divided right now as the world is. And yet, my brothers and sisters, we are called to be united, united as brothers and sisters in Christ. If we are to be so, we must understand that we are God's children, that we are not better or worse than one another, but we are all loved by God as we are. We are all brothers and sisters in the Lord, that it is not us and them. It's just us. We are to experience and demonstrate the love of Christ in our families. Our families are to be a place of love, of nurturance, of forgiveness, of God's mercy. How do we do this? By being people who love and accept God's mercy and live his commandments in our lives as individuals and in our lives as families. God gave us two commandments, remember, to love him with everything we have and to love one another as we love ourselves. If we do this, my brothers and sisters, our families will be united in that love. And as far as our church goes, we must remember that there's no political parties in our church. We're not to be a church of liberals and conservatives. We are one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We are to be united in the love that we Catholics have for Jesus Christ. And we are called to be united people as church. Yes, we have sinned. Yes, we have scandal. Yes, we have issues. But we are called to be united in who we follow Jesus Christ and to obey Christ's commandments as we live out our faith. Our brothers and sisters, we live in a fractured, divided world. But as people who believe, who follow Jesus Christ, we are called to go beyond that. We are called to be united in our love of Christ. We are called to be united in the fact that we are part of a brotherhood and sisterhood of people, that everyone is connected to us in God. And we are to live that love in our families, in the church, and in the world. We celebrate 
the second Sunday of Easter, also Divine Mercy Sunday. May we receive God's mercy. May we be united in the forgiveness of Christ. And may we take God's mercy and go out into this fractured world. And by our love, by our patience, by our kindness, by extending the mercy of God, may we in our own way begin to heal this fractured world so that we can be one people in Christ. And now let us listen to Robert Martin, who reminds us that Jesus is alive.
Catholics in the news. A religious sister and registered nurse who served those sick with COVID-19 in Italy has been honored by the United States State Department with the Women of Courage Award. Sister Alicia Vacos Moro is a Comboni missionary sister originally from Spain who has served the poor and the sick as a nurse in Egypt, the West Bank, and amid the coronavirus pandemic. Sister Vacas was awarded the International Women of Courage Award by Secretary of State Anthony Blinken in a virtual ceremony. Ahead of the ceremony, the U.S. Embassy Charge d'Affaires, Patrick Connell, said that he was personally inspired by Sister Alicia's lifetime devotion to peace and justice, especially on behalf of the most vulnerable. For more than 20 years, Sister Alicia has served in war-torn communities in the Middle East, advocating for those who could not speak for themselves in places besieged by war and insecurity, Connell said. She worked as a registered nurse and a human rights advocate, fighting to empower women, educate children, and provide medical care in predominantly Muslim communities. As a Comboni missionary sister, Sister Vakas spent eight years serving the poor in Egypt by running a medical clinic that served 150 low-income patients each day. She was later sent to Bethany in the West Bank, 
where she established kindergartens and training programs for women in the impoverished Bedouin camps. Sister Vakas currently serves as the regional coordinator of the Kamboni Sisters in the Middle East, overseeing the work of about 40 sisters aiding human trafficking victims, refugees, and asylum seekers in the region. But in 2020, she flew to Italy to help serve her fellow sisters after an outbreak of COVID-19 at their convent in northern Italy. The 41-year-old religious sister shared her experience during the pandemic in a virtual symposium hosted by the United States and British embassies to the Holy See in June 2020. She said, Unfortunately, one of our communities in Bergamo got infected at the very beginning of the coronavirus emergency, and we started receiving very bad news from the community, Sister Vakas said. And several young sisters, several of us nurses, we volunteered to go and reach out to them and help them. When she arrived in Bergano, which is in Lombardy in Italy, which was the epicenter of Italy's coronavirus outbreak, Sister Alicia said that the Camboni mother house was in real chaos because everybody was sick. She estimated that 45 sisters out of the 55 living there were ill. Ten Cambodi sisters from her community died during the outbreak. It has been a very powerful experience to live from inside the suffering of the people in Bergano, she said, adding that it has been an experience of Christ's passion. As a Camboni sister, I think it has only been a privilege sharing with people's lives, with people's suffering, she said, calling it a gift from God for the whole congregation. Connell said that Sister Alicia is one of the many inspiring women religious who work tirelessly to advance human dignity and freedom. Women religious, he said, are among the most effective and vital partners we have on the front lines in fragile communities around the world. They are often the last beacon of hope for millions of people who otherwise would have no voice. Sister Alicia Vacas, serving those struggling and dying from the pandemic. This week's Catholics in the News. Truth in the Media For decades, Archbishop Charles Chaput served as a strong prophetic voice for the Church in the United States. He was that watchman on the walls of Jerusalem, discerning and proclaiming the truth for God's people. Although retired now for over a year, he still continues that good work. His important new book, entitled Things Worth Dying For, Thoughts on a Life Worth Living, is the voice of the watchman. It is an extended reflection on where we have come from, where we are now, and where we should want to go if life is to have meaning. Early on in the book, the Archbishop uses the phrase, memories of things worth dying for. It's a curious expression to the modern mind. Memory and death don't mean much to us. In fact, we don't even want to think about death. We don't have much use for the past, and we try to cheat death constantly by pretending it doesn't exist. It's hard to think of a culture more disconnected from its past and more fearful of death than the one we're living in today. Nevertheless, these two things, memory and death, form and frame the Archbishop Emeritus's book. 
Of course, it's tempting to see them as predictable topics for a man in retirement facing his exit from the stage. Maybe they are, but that doesn't make them any less important. As we ought to heed the wisdom of such men, for the memory here is not mere nostalgia, and the dying not mere death. They're rather the memory and the dying that give meaning to life. One of our culture's most conspicuous vices is impiety, that scorn and dismissal of one's own patrimony. It's like amnesia, a deliberate forgetfulness. It is a rejection of the past that has made us who we are. This book goes on to discuss how this cripples our ability to know who we are. Against this forgetfulness, Israel prophets, Archbishop Shapu writes, called out to the people, remember. And now the Archbishop is warning against the destruction of the past that has such grave effects in the present and for the future. His reflections on memory shed light on our current situation. Archbishop Shapu observes that the most telling feature of our era is that it weakens bonds. That weakening begins with the forgetfulness of where we came from, and therefore, who we are. By weakening our bonds with the past, the agents of impiety more easily weaken our bonds in the present. The consideration of those bonds with God, country, family, the church, occupies the majority of the book. In each chapter, Archbishop Chaput addresses a particular bond. He provides an analysis of how he got there, in the prescription of how to get out. What's always striking about the Archbishop's writing is that he diagnoses our societal, political, and ecclesial ills without scolding and prescribes strong medicine without moralizing. Then that's the other theme. The Archbishop dedicates two chapters, one at the beginning, another at the end, on the topic of death, or more accurately, how to die. A culture's approach to death determines and reveals its way of living, he writes. And one of our culture's great impieties is the trivialization of death. Funerals are something to get done so we can move on. The body's disposed of unceremoniously, just another piece of refuse. Unfortunately, even within the church, as lots of people can talk about, the approach to death is superficial insipid and really tries to take the sting out of it as we try to avoid, get it over with, and ultimately deny it. As a culture, he writes, we're whistling past the graveyard, hoping that if we can domesticate and control death, we can avoid the demands it makes on the living. But as Archbishop Chapu writes, denying death, refusing to face it, or draining it of all its meaning steal something profoundly human from life. We think we have cheated death when, in fact, we've only robbed ourselves of its meaning. Too often today, he writes, many of us do not know how to die. The sacred sense of passage our culture once attached to death doesn't exist any longer, but our fear and anxiety have never been stronger. So Archbishop writes of the King's Highway, the pathway to heaven trod first by our Lord and now by his disciples. Indeed, followers of Christ should be, as we once were, beacons in society to chart the proper course through death to eternal life. Thus, the church would give to the world the proper assessment of its worth. 
In reflecting on the king's highway, the archbishop provides a wonderful consideration of the four last things, death, judgment, heaven, and hell. But most importantly, he explains the truth that the king's highway has a destination and a purpose, an end that determines its beginning at every step. Heaven itself, the worthiest goal to live and to die for. These two themes, memory and death, are intrinsically united, he writes. If we do not know the past, neither can we understand the present or prepare for the future. The least of all is the ultimate future of death. Those who have gone before us have given us an inheritance of wisdom that prepares us for the journey throughout life. As Archbishop Chaput makes clear throughout the book, if we refuse to receive that wisdom, that is to remember, and insist on creating our own new meaning, then we will no longer have things worth dying for, and thus nothing worth living for. It's the watchman's duty to remember for us. Archbishop Chaput has shown himself once again to be a faithful pastor, bringing to our memory those truths worth dying for. Things Worth Dying For, Thoughts on a Life Worth Living, a new book by Archbishop Charles J. Chaput, telling the truth about living and dying. This week's Truth in the Media. Virginia's governor recently signed a bill into law expanding abortion coverage in the state. Governor Ralph Northam signed the legislation, House Bill 1896 and Senate Bill 1276, which allows abortion coverage to be included without limits in health plans on the state exchanges. The health plans often receive subsidies, which means that taxpayers would be funding abortion under the law. The State House and Senate passed the legislation earlier this year, repealing the previous ban on abortion coverage on the exchange. Beginning July 1st, health plans in the state will cover abortion for any reason. So let me get this straight. Virginia, thanks to its legislature and governor, has gone from banning abortions to allowing them for any reason. Come on now, this can't be happening. No way! But it is! I don't get it! Truth Topic of the Week Pope Francis recently spoke about the importance of going to confession. He stated that going to confession is an act of, quote, abandoning oneself to love, unquote, allowing the God of love to heal and to transform one's heart. Experiencing confession in this way, the Holy Father said, is a means of letting oneself be transformed by love. It is the love that was fully manifested in Jesus Christ in his death on the cross for us. Pope Francis underscored that a good confessor is always called to see this miracle of change, to be aware of the work of grace in the hearts of penitents. 
the penitent who encounters in the sacramental conversation a ray of this welcoming love allows himself to be transformed by love, by grace, beginning to experience the transformation of the heart of stone into a heart of flesh, which is a transformation that takes place in every confession, the Pope said. Confession, also known the sacrament of penance or reconciliation, is the means through which God grants pardon for our sins. A penitent person goes before the priest who is in the presence and in place of Christ himself. And in this sacrament, as we disclose our sins to the priest, we are through the priest and by the Holy Spirit given the gift of forgiveness. As we go before the Lord, truly sorry for our sins, we are given the grace to go on, God's mercy to wipe the slate clean, and transforming us by God's love. When we abandon ourselves to this love, the Holy Father said, it is a true act of faith that can never be reduced to simply concepts or statements to believe. God calls us, and in this act of reconciliation, we are called to respond to the love and mercy of the Lord, to be transformed by this love of mercy and by this grace. Experience teaches us, the Holy Father said, that those who do not abandon themselves to God's love sooner or later end up abandoning themselves to something else, ending up in the arms of the worldly mentality, which in the end brings bitterness, sadness, loneliness, and does not heal. Throughout his pontificate, Pope Francis has frequently encouraged Catholics to receive God's forgiveness in the sacrament of penance. Pope Francis related that the frequent celebration of the sacrament of reconciliation becomes for both the penitent and the confessor a way of sanctification, a school of faith, abandonment, change, and correspondence to the merciful love of the Father. Being merciful does not mean being indulgent, Pope Francis said. It means being a brother, a father, a comforter. Pope Francis, telling us the truth about the importance and power of confession, our truth topic of the week. Well, we've finished episode 238 of the What is Truth Catholic podcast. If you have any feedback about the podcast you wish to share, please email me at deaconstevew at gmail.com. Let us not forget that we are in the Easter season. Easter keeps going until we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. May we continue to be in God's Easter joy. May we continue to be open to God's mercy, to go to God, asking for forgiveness of our sins and the right of reconciliation, to receive the Eucharist, to return, if we can, health-wise, to church, to receive the body, blood, and soul and divinity of Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. Let us be an Easter people, full of hope, love, and mercy. Let us pray. Lord, help us to discern the truth, the truth you call us all to live. 
Help us to live in this truth so that we can be as you created us to be, truly free. And let us ask our Lady's help in this journey. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now, at the hour of our death. Amen. Until next time, God willing, this is Deacon Steve. I invite you to join me as we discover together what is truth.